0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, Easter people, yeah, (laughs) who are in Bethlehem. And those joining us on social media, those joining us from the campus. Uh, Opening the service, we had the, the continuance of the gospel of John that was read by Pastor Ellie she did a great job. So this morning, which is possibly, it might be my last Easter message, at least at NC4, I, I felt heartily, as I was praying this week, directed by the Spirit to a passage I've never really preached on here before, which is kind of neat. Allie Stevens made the comment to me about two weeks ago, she said, I, I had recommended to you all the book, Surprised by Hope, by N.T. Wright. And she read it, and she said, now that I've read that book, I understand why you trumpet the same Easter message year after year. Easter is a passion for me. Love Christmas. Everybody loves Christmas. Not everybody loves Easter. It occurred to me this morning, even as I was driving in, how many people ignore the fact that Easter is anything but a civil holiday. So she made that comment, and I just it kind of hit me this week. You see, to merely say he's risen as if we're memorializing some spring event, you know, the, the, the bursting forth of the blossoms and the flowers, something that happened only 2,000 years ago, and then you go, we get our, our Easter lilies and run off to our Easter hams and our families, all of which are good things, really discounts what happened and what happens to us consequent of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, Jesus rising from the dead presages, see if we can get this, something that will actually happen to every one of us, every person, me and you in this sanctuary. It'll happen to me, and it'll happen to you, and each of us will experience it really in real time, as Josh's uh, Josh's, uh, video kind of uh, highlighted this morning, we will each rise from the dead it's a pretty heavy statement yeah and so some of us will be rise to eternal life and paradise and some otherwise and we'll talk about that in a second that's the clear teaching of jesus it's the clear teaching of the creeds we didn't recite the creed this morning because we had so much going on it's the clear teaching of the scriptures So I want to approach this Easter just a tiny bit different. A few weeks ago, we spoke about the raising of Lazarus, Lazarus of Bethany, who was the close friend of Jesus. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. And this morning, I'd like to focus on a different Lazarus, who was not yet raised from the dead, but his story tells us a lot about death, about afterlife, about resurrection, And the truth of living forever, because that's really what we're celebrating this morning. Not merely the resurrection of Jesus, as if I could say mere regarding his resurrection. We are celebrating him being the first fruits of the grave, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and we being with him forever in resurrectedness, in risenness, whatever that means, huh? That's supposed to be good news. You all look like I see smoke coming from ears this morning, you know See I don't mean to be deep on this celebratory day. you know I'm not trying to be deep. that's not one of the things. matter of fact, a co-ed from Lehigh, a bunch of years ago, a co-ed from Lehigh, came to Trisha one morning. she was here. she was attending. And she came to Trisha. and she says, Mrs. Grubleski, I love your husband. I love his teaching. It's so deep. He's so deep. And Trish said, honey, I love him too, but deep down, he's pretty shallow. <laughs> so the point is, I'm not deep, but resurrection is deep. <laughs> Are you there? So I want to connect the dots between Lazarus of Bethany... Who was raised from the dead, and then this other Lazarus at, whose story is at the mouth of Jesus. Because the truth of the resurrection, here's my problem the truth of the resurrection doesn't always do what it's supposed to do. Huh? And the women who came to the empty tomb on the first Easter encountered an angel. And the angel says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. All right, that's Luke 24, 5 and 6. I want to do what the angel said to do. I I don't want to look for death. I want to look for the truth of life after death. The scriptures insist that we are going to die unless Jesus comes first. But more than that, they insist that when we do, we will, in fact, live. How? I mean, that's the truth. And even more than that, when we do, we will live forever. Wow. So the title of our message this morning is one of the most important what-if questions that we can ever a- ask, any human being can ask, is what if we don't actually die? Think about that. thing. Sigmund Freud said, no one can imagine their own death. I don't know that that's true. On Most of what else Sigmund Freud said I don't believe was true. But what if we do not die? See, Easter is about life after death, but more than that, it's about life after life after death. It's about dying, and it's about rising again. Okay then, whereas I surmise that most of us here this morning believe in the existence of God, there has to be a measure of that, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, there's got to be something cooking along those lines. And I reckon that most of us here believe in something we call an afterlife. But I wonder if all of us, whether we're Christians or, or not, honestly believe, honestly believe the same things about what will become of us when we die. A- at first glance, you, you might think, wow, this isn't very uplifting, uh, for, especially for Easter service. You, you know, I want a S- Sunday's coming. How many have heard a Sunday's coming preach you know, I never liked those preaches. So I'll tell you why. Because it's almost like when Jesus said it's, it is finished at the crucifixion, there was this great tragedy, which it was, but it was also a great victory. Are you there? In other words, when he said with a loud shout, it is finished. It's one word in Greek. Tetelestai, he said. And with that word, watch this, the victim became a victor. Huh? The victim became a victor. And that victory works its way into our risenness on Easter morning. So, so what we're doing is not putting a Band-Aid on Good Friday. Are you there? So, all right. All right. So we're not to look for the living among the dead like the angel says. A good question to ask is, well, what's the afterlife like? How, how can we ever know? And whether we believe in God or not... Jesus is the only one, the only one in history that I'm aware of for whom there is a claim that he died and rose from the dead and lives forever, right? I want to point out that there are other claims to resurrection itself. I mean, Lazarus of Bethany was raised from the dead. Uh, The sick little girl was raised from the dead by Jesus. Paul uh, saw someone raised from the dead, and there's a whole cottage industry of books uh, by people who have claimed to die and come back. And, and that's, that all exists. Most of us have read or seen something like that, somebody on a talk show or a Christian interview, those kinds of things. But, but Jesus has the only claim to have risen from the dead in order to live forever. So that each of us can live forever. Forever. Wow. So, how about this question? Here's, uh, this is a good question because look, everyone here might not admit to Jesus being God. Okay, that's that. It's not fine, but I get that. Everyone here might not, admit, or everyone online might not admit to Jesus being God. But having said that, most people admit to Jesus being a great teacher. I mean, that's the big default, right? If you don't want to, if you don't want to have to. Mo- Follow the moral teaching of Jesus. Just admit that he was a great teacher and pick out some verses that you can live with. Huh? Or am I the only one who's seen people do that? <laughs> All right. All right. So if you think Jesus was a great teacher, well, what? it's a good question to say, what did he think about death and afterlife? Huh? Is there any place we can find that in Scripture? Or even risenness and completeness, those kinds of things. Okay, so here in the Gospel of Luke is a really remarkable story that Jesus directs at his disciples about death and afterlife and risenness. Uh, He's told them that he was going to rise from the dead. And so some people call this story a parable. I don't believe it's a parable. I believe it's a history. I believe it actually happened. Uh, I can't get into the reasons, but there's a number of reasons. There are a number of scholars like myself. I'm not a scholar, but I believe it. Believe that this is an actual story of an actual person that Jesus recounts to his disciples. And it's from Luke uh, chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. And I'm going to do a running uh, commentary as we just work through this for a few minutes. So this is Jesus speaking. This is like Jesus' account of somebody who died and hasn't yet risen, but someone who died, and this is the afterlife that he describes. Or actually, two people. There was a rich, verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, owning purple, this is my commentary, owning purple linen and wearing it in the first century was a sign of social status. Purple dye was a striking luxury. And in the Roman Empire, the amount of purple that you could wear was even legislated because it declared your social status. So this guy is living large, and he's a big deal. So verse 20, And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. Verse 21, Who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, for you dog, dog lovers, I, Lazarus was there with the dogs because they were vying for the same scraps but for you dog lovers, dog saliva actually has antibacterial properties against infection. So it was mercy, huh? And so, verse twenty—I'm sorry, verse twenty-two. This is where it gets thick. The poor man died, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Abraham's side is a Hebrew nickname for paradise, right? For paradise. Lazarus died to an actual angel escort coming for him. The rich man also died, but was buried. That's the account. It's kind of naked and desolate. Verse 23, And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So there's a consciousness there's an identity and there's a recognition, an ability to perceive in this thing called hell or Hades. Verse 24, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. These are the words of Jesus. What we need to note is that this is really important, that the rich man knows that it's Lazarus, huh? He knows that it's Abraham. And he was aware of him in life, and now he is aware of him in death. There's that kind of cognition. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, which means I'm recognizing you as being a Jew, right? Child of Abraham. He says, Abraham says, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. Wow. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Abraham is calling the rich man child, acknowledging this guy's Jewishness. But the rich man's problem is that his Jewishness will not do the trick. Huh? Verse 26 And besides all this, between. Us in you is a great chasm it has been fixed. It's, it's, uh, you can't get across it. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And so I was thinking about this. It's as if the gate which separates them in in, in the rich man's life has become a chasm between heaven and hell in the next life. Wow. Verse 27, And so he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my, my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that we may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. Abraham is saying they have hope in the scriptures themselves. Moses and the prophets is another nickname for the scriptures. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, if someone's risen from the dead, they will repent, meaning their lives and their hearts will change, verse 31. But Abraham said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, which is to say that the morality that's enshrined in the scriptures and the Bible itself, he said, if they don't hear them, neither will they be convinced if someone should Rise from the dead. Wow. So here we have a name, we got a person, we got a, 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 an aptitude of Jesus for what happens in the afterlife, and a description of probably someone who happened to be a real person and who died. And this makes this story unique, but it also makes this story pertinent to every one of us. It also makes the resurrection of Jesus pertinent to every one of us. The first thing that kind of should fly out at us is that in our culture, that does all that it can do to masquerade death, to fancify death, to avoid death, to deny death, Jesus admits to exactly what it is, huh? You know, I was reading, it was either in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times two weeks ago, I, I mentioned this to some people in the office, there was an article, and it was written by a tech guy, and I can't remember his name, but where he was talking about the social media which carries uh, most of the news for Gen Zers, especially regarding the Ukrainian war, the invasion of Russia, and the the atrocities that are being committed, that within the algorithms that the social media are using, this is out of my wheelhouse, I'm just trusting the, that the social media who create the algorithms for the news concerning the atrocities patch in just enough fluff to make sure that people will continue to come back and not shut down the social media. That's a scary thought. That's not the way it happened during World War II or Vietnam or during Korea. So this is interesting. Death makes us really uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I said this a couple weeks ago. Halloween, I always wondered about the incredible increasing popularity of Halloween. It's just a way to fancify death, right? It's a way to fancify evil and make it appear as if it's not something to be paid attention to. All right, enough of my soapbox here. So at the mouth of Jesus, Jesus insists that upon death, there's still life. And the term afterlife may be even a misstatement because the next life might be a better expression, but life doesn't go away. Life doesn't cease when we die. Lazarus did not die. The rich man did not die. I will not die, and neither will any of you die. That is the truth. From the mouth of Jesus. So the big question is, can I say hallelujah or oh no? <laughs> from the mouth of Jesus, there are seemingly two alternatives in our life, our next life or our continuing life, paradise or torment. Well, what's important about this story is that resurrection from the dead is real. And finally, what is most important is that Jesus is risen from the dead, and still there are many like the rich man's brothers, like his family, who refuse to believe. Or don't even want to make and posit the question. Now, look, I get this. I don't want to be a complete downer this morning. The existence of a real hell is not a popular topic in the 21st century West. How many times have you been to church and somebody spoke about the existence of hell and the capacity of individuals to end up in torment. I mean, it's not a popular message. Oh, Grubby's preaching on hell this morning. Oh, I can't wait to get there. Anyway, <laughs> I do have a message that's entitled, What's So Good About Hell? And, you know, I'm not going to develop anything like that this morning. But if the elders want me in the future to preach on what's so good about hell, I'll come here and give you all hell. How's that? <laughs> I, okay, I stopped. Listen, I, rabbit trails, I know. I, I just have one more rabbit trail. So <laughs> she's going like this, you know. <laughs> I did a symposium a, a, a bunch of years ago. I'm going to say eight or nine years ago at Penn State. And it was a symposium with the student body and the faculty. Was, the place was packed. And it was, there were five of us. There was an imam, um, a Muslim imam. There was a, a Hindu uh, priest who was representing all Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, all the Eastern religions. There was a, a Jewish rabbi, Catholic priest, and I was the evangelical guy. And there was a mainline Protestant guy. I think there might have been somebody else. Anyway, I think there were seven of us. <clears throat> and each of us had 10 minutes to give the student body and faculty our core, the core beliefs of our faith. And we each did that. Then we took a break. And then the rest of the time, which is about two hours, was supposed to be for questions and answers, Q&A. So, man, I was like boning up on all the hot-button topics. Like I'm looking at abortion and LGBTQ and capital punishment. I mean, you name the hot-button issue, and I'm boning up on it because this is a university. I'm thinking I'm going to get crucified anyway. So don't take me. Take Barabbas. Anyway, so... (laughs) <laughs> so, so, I get there, and I mean, there, there was... I can't think of one hot-button issue, socially, that was asked. Every one of the questions had to do with the problem of evil, the existence of hell, and the existence of a personal devil. For all the seven, I found that absolutely... I mean, I was blown away. I really was. That was... What was eating them alive, even from the faculty? And I just, I was expecting all this philosophical stuff, and I'm getting gut issues that people are struggling with as they walk through life. And the most interesting thing to me was, at least theologically, the two people who were closest were me and the Muslim imam. Isn't that interesting? Because there was specific answers to the specific problems and there wasn't a lot of fluff. huh? And so, anyway, so, so that's fascinating to me. Anyway, so I, cons- I considered Jesus, even then, to be the wisest of teachers, and that's the way I presented it. Okay. On the surface of things in life, the rich man here appears to be being blessed by God, and Lazarus appears to be being cursed by God in this life. Am I right? And when you pick that up from the story in terms of appearances, okay. And there's still people who believe. There are Christians who believe that kind of thing, right? But it isn't really so. And there's an important lesson in this. This is a lesson. There are seeming losers in life who are winners in death. Huh? And there are seeming winners in life who are losers in death. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, said it. She, as she prays in the Magnificat, when the angel Gabriel comes to her, she's pregnant with the Christ child, says he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and he has lifted up the lowly. When we were s- singing a song this morning about rival thrones, remember we were saying didn't crown him with many crowns? I'm thinking, you know, when we say stuff like that, we think, oh, there's people in thrones and nations around the world who are being adulated and those thrones have to be toppled so that Jesus is on the throne. Listen. I got rival thrones in my own life where Jesus should be enthroned. Are, are you there? Huh? And so Mary's saying those thrones gotta come down so that my poverty can come up. The kind of poverty that accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That was Luke 152. Now it would be easy then to make the mistake and conclude that the rich people go to hell for what Mary says and the poor people go to paradise. The problem is that in Jesus' circle, there are a lot of rich people too, rich disciples, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, the apostle Matthew, Joseph of Arimathea, and I could go on. My point is is to know that the rich man's sin is not that he's wealthy. His sin is that he refuses to do what the scriptures direct him to do with his blessing. He refuses to love. Huh? Huh? He refuses to love. We have some hints. Well, this is amazing. Nowhere, while he's in torment in hell, nowhere does the rich man claim that he's in hell unjustly. He doesn't deserve to be there. Neither does he repent of the hardness of his heart. Matter of fact, he perpetuates it. Uh, truth, because the truth is, when that happens, there's no longer grace for those realizations. There's no longer grace for that kind of repentance. More tellingly, neither does he see Lazarus as any more human or deserving of any more dignity than he did in life. Lazarus is still a peon who can do his bidding. In short, the grace that we have here to recognize the truth, those kinds of things, doesn't accompany people in hell. This is a C.S. Lewis message right here, this portion. Hell is is graceless. Grace to recognize the twistedness of my heart is for now. huh? I can capitalize on that now. Lots of grace here this morning for that kind of thing. So, the state of our social status, whether we're poor or whether we're rich, does not decide whether we go to heaven or hell. But the state of our heart does. So, Lazarus was, wasn't positioned and any old gate in the story, I, when I read the story just this week, it says the text says that Lazarus laid at his gate. And it makes me wonder, I was wondering when I read that, who was laid at my gate? Huh? Who was laid at my gate this morning? Yeah. Who have I ignored in my life that God has his finger upon? Huh? So I won't begin to note the number of places in the Jewish Bible that instruct the followers of Yahweh to care for those who have experienced uh, a downer in life, tragedy in life. But I want to make mention just quickly of two places in the New Testament where the last judgment, there's only two places in the New Testament where the last judgment, or I should say in the Gospels, where there's a real description of the last judgment. That would be interesting, yeah? Like what's what's that going to look like? Okay, the first occurs in Matthew 25. Don't turn there. I'll just, just synopsize it here. Right before the Last Supper, Jesus describes final judgment. And he says that the nations will be brought before him as a because he's a shepherd. And he said the sheep will be on his right and the goats will be on his left. And those who receive the kingdom that he's prepared for them uh, are those who Jesus says, they fed me when I was hungry and thirsty. He said that. They welcomed me when I was a stranger. They clothed me. They visited me when I was a sick or when I was in prison. And, you know, this is what amazes me about that story. This is a description of it. The righteous people then say to Jesus, when did we do that? What, what, we don't remember that. When did we do that? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Huh? Now, what's amazing about this is they didn't even realize that they did it it just flowed out of their hearts. Huh? It just flowed out of their hearts. It was supernaturally natural. (sighs) Now, the other place that Jesus talks about judgment is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. For charismatics, this is a toughie, right? Because he says that at the judgment, there will be those who use his name and do all kinds of neat stuff. And, And they'll come to me, Jesus said, and they'll say, Look, Jesus, we did all this new, neat stuff. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. And Jesus will say to them, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Woo. I mean, oh, this, see, this turns... What, is, what does this do to the whole concept of celebrity church? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... This morning's message isn't about running out and joining the prison ministry, although that would really be cool and Chad would love it. Uh, <laughs> it's not about going over and doing the homeless ministry, although that would be cool and Carmen would love it and others, the others who are running it. Would. What it's about is the two tandem points of power that really can transform a human heart. And they always go together. The two points always go together. It's this. Two powerpoints of heart transformation. It's the truth of the Bible, the truth of the scriptures, <laughs> and a relationship with the risen one. I want to say it. relationship, 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 honest relationship with the risen one, the risen one who wrote the scriptures huh? through the Holy Spirit. So, okay, no doubt as Jews, the rich man and his family believed in God. They probably went to the temple. They observed the feasts, presumably near Jerusalem. But their hearts were hardened because it's about our hearts. Yeah. Belief has to be evidenced in willingness to be loved and to love like we are loved. Okay, I'm going to invite the musicians to come up to give you all hope. So, So, I mean... When I talk to people about the Lord, because I real, I usually only do it when I'm asked. I, I'm just, I'm not an in-your-face, uh, you know, evangelistic kind of guy. But I love leading people to Jesus. But I get this response: "I'm not going to hell. I'm a good person." Okay, this, I can't even enumerate the number of ways that can get you in trouble. <laughs> Because a lot of the good people who describe themselves as good aren't. And I know I wasn't, and I know I am not, except by the grace of God. Okay. Uh, but there's a thing in there. See, because it's not about being good or bad or behaving and this. That's all important. It's about the quality of our love. And we all have a capacity for some lovin', right? I mean, all of us can do some lovin'. It's part of our nature. We were created to be able to love, to do some lovin', But the kind of loving we got to do can only come from God. Huh? I mean, it's the transformational heart. It's the, the love that flows out of a heart that's been transformed by the love of God for us, such that he died for us and rose again from the dead for us so that he could love us forever. I hope I'm not losing anybody in John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And, but Jesus doesn't leave it at that, you know. Because where does that kind of love come from? Well, Jesus goes on and says this Just as I have loved you, that's the way you have to love one another. Man, once in a while I've been able to lay my life down for my family, uh, less for my wife. <laughs> And she's going, Amen. And uh, a, a little bit for you all. But the fact that I'm still here, I got a lot more loving to do, and I don't have it right yet. Okay. There has to be a realization of how much God loves me in order for me to love the way He loves so that I can understand the truth of the Scriptures. All right. All right. Last thing here's the truth. There's a risen Jesus here this morning waiting to transform every one of us. There's a risen Jesus here. For some of us, we know our destiny. We know we have a relationship with him. But the fact that you're here doesn't mean you got all of him that there is to get. All right? There's some of us, though, that don't really know. There's some of us who aren't assured that we're headed for torment or headed for paradise and there's a way to address that right now how cool is that for some of us we need to say lord jesus come into my life i've ignored you i've i've lord jesus i've put you off I've never faced the truth of the fact that I will die, but I've really never faced the truth that I need to live now. And you hold the answer to both those, those predicaments. Your death and your resurrection can be part of my life right now, this Easter. And I want to invite you, Lord Jesus, into my life. I want to identify with you. I want your death your Good Friday to just cover me, cover, cover my sins with your blood. Lord, give me, give me the peace where I know just by asking you into my life and having relationship with you, my destiny is secure. My forever is secure. Jesus, could it be that simple? Really? It is that simple. If that's you this morning... If that's you this morning, we're going to pray a prayer in just a second. And and we'll pray it all together because we've all prayed it in one way or another. And then this could be the most important Easter of your whole life. A bunch of other of us this morning, like me, who need to ask ourselves, who loves you, baby? Yeah? Right? Who's lying at my gate this morning? Huh? Right? Because there's all the more of Jesus to get than we've ever known before. So I'm just going to ask everybody here to, to bow their heads. This isn't about exposing people and all that stuff. It's about torment or paradise. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray these words after me because they're life-changing words, and then we'll, we'll sing. So repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from anything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died for me, that I could be forgiven, set free, Thank you that you offer me this gift and the gift of your spirit. I receive that gift. Come into my life and be with me forever. Lord, show me who is lying at my gate this morning. Give me the willingness of heart to pick them up, bring them in,